All right, how we doing, everybody? Facebook, uh, no, Facebook, uh, <laughs> YouTube. I don't know why I'm mixing that up, but uh, YouTube, that's where we do this show. This is In the Building, episode 22. Uh, another, I think, potentially standout episode here. We got a, a nice guest coming on, a, a pretty uh, a pretty good, you know, pretty notable guest, a guest of uh, of note, but uh, a guy who makes time for the people and the little people, including me and Dave. Uh, his name is Andre Vasquez. He's the alderman of the 40th Ward of Chicago. And uh, he's a pretty interesting guy, has a pretty interesting background, especially as far as city councilmen goes. So we're going to get into a lot of different things with him tonight. If you uh, listen back to our show with Mr. Greenweeds, our special show that we did uh, on MF Doom, he actually came up in that show. And he came up because he was a part of the Chicago hip-hop community for a long time. Andre Vasquez was, as as was uh, Greenweeds. So, uh you know, uh, we we definitely gonna get into that, but we are gonna get to a lot of the the stuff that has uh, been interesting in regards to Andre's, you know, Alderman Vasquez's uh, young political career, and uh, you know, challenging certain norms in the city and challenging certain norms in general, and um, they're serving the people and everything like that. I Man, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to take on. And we've seen how uh, bad it could be when people who uh, aren't equipped to do the job uh, try to do those things. Uh, but uh, you know, we you know we'll we'll see. You know, I think I I think uh, Osmond Vasquez has been is one of the good guys coming up. So you know, we'll see. Uh, get to know him quite a bit more, and and as as we do every week, build with him and uh, see uh, see more what he's about. But uh. Dave, how you doing, man? What's up? What's up with you this week? Oh, I'm good. Um, I'm intrigued to get some, you know, insights to what's going on in the city from Alderman Vasquez, yeah. especially in his ward, which is on the northwest side. Uh, yeah, you were you were know. a guy who, when you were still here, you know, you were pretty in tune with Alderman, and especially in your area and stuff like that. The people who made things happen in your you know, you were you were a responsible homeowner, so that and and a businessman. So you know that, I you know you were in tune with these people on the in the council and everything like that, right? Well, my local one, yeah. I mean, yeah, Sophia King, yeah. The who's the other one in uh, Kenwood, uh, Bronzeville area? So yeah, I was in tune um, when I was back at home. Um, yeah, the northwest side, sure they have different issues, different concerns. Sure. Um, than what we had. Then again, some of them are still pretty much in alignment because I think his ward is a part of uh, what the, uh, is you know kind of a heavily Hispanic area, and they have some of the same concerns that we have. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember, 40th Ward is um, it's not Bucktown. What, what's the next? Logan. Yeah. Logan. Uh, yeah, Logan. Maybe you could say like North Central. A little bit. All, is it so? Is it so? Because he's all along Western Avenue. Western and what? Uh, this office I think is like Western and uh, I did look it up, but uh, 
Yeah, it's it's pretty up there. Let me get this thing up. But yeah, it's it, like North Center. I think a little bit of that too. North Center, okay, got it. Yeah, but it is. Yeah, it's a. You know, it's it, he went to Lane Tech. It's not far from there either. So, but uh, yeah, it's like, like you said. It's a lot of things that you know. Even given the the you know the different neighborhoods and the different people who populate them, you know, there's a lot of overriding things that sort of. Uh, cross those, you know, those, uh, those separations and everything. And but I was just, I, w- I wanted to get like your opinion a little bit on what, what do you think makes a, you know, I don't know, you know, because I, it's, it's funny, I had, I've had conversations like that with my grandfather too. And you know, you've been around my grandfather a little bit, and he hated his alderman. He's down, he was down. I think Bill was his alderman down there. Beavers. Uh, night. No, uh, was it Anthony Bill down there in uh, ninety third? Oh, Bill, um, yeah, yeah, you, he, you, you, you he hated him. <laughs> he hates him. I should say. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like it makes a difference, like if your relationship with these people, like and, and what you know. I guess you know you could have a whole block and have different people in each house who ask for different things. So, like you know, I don't know. Like, what do you think makes for a good it good alderman? Is it the ability to maybe try to listen to all these different opinions or, you know, I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, well, I'm definitely a part of it is accessibility, um, and, you know, and also being someone who listens not just to the people who have power in your ward. So not just listening to the developers, not, sure. you know, not just listening to the money people, but listening to those who don't necessarily have power um, or influential sw- influence is really i think what makes a good alderman and like i said someone who's accessible whether it's through their number two and that's who like with sophia she was pretty much accessible a lot through i don't say her number two but uh prentice um was his uh name was was her number two and so if you needed something you could reach out to prentice um and you know get a response and i think that's something that's really you know using that as an example but i think that's something that's really important is one being accessible and two being a person you were doing what you say you're going to do. I think a lot of people give lip service and, you know, just so they can, you know, re- be reelected, but they don't necessarily execute what they say they're going to do. Uh, and I think that's something really key. And then also the next thing is transparency where the money goes. I mean, you have an automatic budget. Last time I checked, it was what a mill, I don't know, mill three, mill four for repairs in the war and are you being you know transparent transparent on how that money is being used and i think those are some of the important things because people want to know where their tax tax dollars are going why certain improvements are not being made in the community or why you know um you know why that's not occurring where is this money going that's sitting in the coffers um so i think those are some of the things that are really key um and then of course someone who's honest uh, you know, you don't want someone who's taking kickbacks. Um, I think, mm. you know, in Chicago, that's of course historically been a problem. Um, you know, with aldermen, is ones who are just susceptible to corruption because it's surely, you know, it's surely out there. I'm pretty sure everyone gets temptations of, you know, taking some money to be to do something in favor of a developer or something like that or a contractor or something along that lines um, right. to give, you know, to give them a 
you know, a permit or something like that to build something in the community that may not be within alignment with the community's values. So if the community historically is towards, you know, it has an emphasis on affordable housing and the, and the developer wants to come and build luxury condos, that may not be something that sits well with the general uh, consensus of, you know, members in that community. And I guess really what determines the uh, alderman's integrity is whether they side with the community or whether they side with that developer. And I think those are some of those issues, some of the issues, especially probably in um, Vasquez's ward and even where down in um, where I was at, those are some big issues, especially with gentrification hitting the, the northern northwest side, even, you know, faster than anywhere else. It's probably one of the areas that are being heavily you know, developed more than any place else. And it's probably, dis and as a result, it's displacing a lot of the original uh, Latino communities um, that exist in those, in those areas. So it's, you know, they're being displaced, they're being over, you know, they're being out, you know, uh, I guess outpriced on rent and outpriced on, you know, new, new construction housing. So I think, you know, an alderman's job is to work to preserve the things that make that community unique in the first place, um, whether it be its people, its culture, all of those things are really what's important. And, you know, whether, whether an alderman is considered good or not, I think plays heevily into that. Yeah, well, we're going we gonna to get into all that and more right now with our guest, Alderman Andre Vasquez. Here he is. How you doing, sir? Hey, doing all right. Can y'all hear me okay? Yeah, we hear you. Uh, I hear you pretty good. You hear him, Dave? Yeah, I hear him. Okay, yeah, doing uh, well. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure, man. We really appreciate you coming on and making time for us. And um, yeah, I guess you were able to overhear a bit of what uh, my co-host was saying yeah. as, uh, you know, we we lead you on here. And, you know, I, I, I asked him, you know, uh, Dave is, is not, uh, he's, he's at the moment not a resident of Chicago, but he used to, he used to be up until last summer. Sure. And he was, uh, you know, speaking from experience of, uh, you know, being in, in, in a Chicago citizen and interacting with uh, people from his aldermanic district. And, uh, you know, uh, I, what do you think? What did you think about some of the things that he said in regards to what it takes to be uh, good at your position to to really be responsive and uh, uh, you know to really serve the people in the way in the way yes, that you like? I, I caught in uh, at the last part after I, you mentioned the menu budget, the one point three million. Um, so I, that's when I caught into the conversation, and I'd say it was pretty spot on as far as like really what you're thinking about. Um, when you're thinking of a city council member, I think that what's what's interesting about this job is it's not only legislative, it's also like the development of the ward, but then also like the services, right? Your potholes, shoveling. Like I, after this, I'm going out to go shovel some some spots out for neighbors, right? So it's a little mm -hmm. bit of all of it, but you're right. Like um, the more responsive you are and the more open you are so people understand your process and how you move, uh, I think the better they're able to understand what you do for the community and they can judge you on the merits of the work that get done. Yeah. Yeah. So spot on. Yeah. Yeah. That was something that, you know, and looking up some things about you, uh, you know, doing, you know, doing research and stuff coming into this interview. Like I saw a story early uh, from when you got elected in 2019 and that was, uh, I think CBS two had uh, printed, I guess they, they broadcast it as well, but they had on the website and that was, pretty much 
the the quote exactly that they had was uh it, what that jumped out to me it said Vasquez can talk at length about urban economics and public policy and you know we're we're definitely gonna get into your uh, stance your stances in those areas in a minute but uh just said Vasquez can talk at length about urban economics and public policy but ultimately he'll be judged on how well he delivers basic city services so I guess that ties into you being willing to go out and shovel snow for people in yeah. the street like I, yeah absolutely i think you know i think some people look at the role and start feeling self-important right but but the reality is if when you're elected in a spot like this i look at it as your neighbors needing you right so if we've got neighbors who are in the ward that are like senior citizens or or disabled and like they need help with like clearing out the sidewalk like we're going to figure out how to organize people to do that so i think uh, it, it's interesting because I grew up, you know, I'm born and raised in a city. I couldn't tell you what Alderman did like five or six years ago up until I first started getting politically involved. And, you know, I think most people don't know that they've got somebody to really advocate for them and do that kind of service. So part of what I wanted to make sure I did when I came in the position is create what we call open government, where like everybody understands it. They know, you know, what they get out of their elected official. Um so yeah, a lot of it is very much like the services, the stuff that you feel right at your door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that and that's 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 interesting too. Like you say, this job that you're doing now, up until a few years ago, you didn't even know what it entails. And I think if you ask most Chicagoans, most people in uh, most people in most big cities, like what what do what does your alderman do? What does your 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 even your mayor on, on a lot of levels. What what do they do? You know, a lot of us just say, you know, they get on TV and talk junk and then do this and that, or they or you may have you may have your negative opinions and say, well, they 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 take kickbacks and they do all there are all these presumptions of crooked things that politicians do. Like, you know, take us along the process. You know, about how how did you become a uh, woke in, in in that way in regards yeah, yeah. to you know knowing what it took to to have this job and what you know how did how did how did you react to learning these things and what you know yeah. what did it mean to you when you found out about it? Yeah, so I, I like like I said, I grew up born and raised in the city. I mean, I got displaced out of about five different neighborhoods growing up. Went to four different public schools just because like gentrification is what it is right and then i grew up um really like the like i was not very i was mad socially awkward and it wasn't until like high school that i started meeting like hip-hop kids and like that became my circle of of people right my community so the first time that i got like woke was before like the term woke existed like i used to listen to a whole bunch of krs1 rakim cube nas right who would speak a lot about systemic problems and issues so i already had that chip on my shoulder coming up um i think what changed for me is i met my wife later on and we had our kids and i you know i was working at the time for like at&t and it's one of, it was one of those jobs where you're working 24 7 like you're giving them your whole life but they can cut you in a second right yeah for me i when once we had kids that just changed how i thought about all of it and i thought about like well where do i want to put my energy towards and that was around the same time that bernie ran for president the first time so i got a chance to meet bernie through a bunch of relationships um actually somebody knew me from when i was a rapper and invited me to go meet him 
And, and it was just strange being in the same space as somebody who was running for president. So that led to like, I mean, I, I crack up. It led to me going, okay, I want to make sure that I get this guy elected so I can tell my kids I got a picture with the president. And then that got me to knock on doors in Iowa and then come back to Chicago and meet some organizers and really learn what a city council member does, what an alderman does. And from there, started focusing on the 40th war, just knocking on doors. And that got me here. So it, it was a whole little roller coaster, but I got to learn a lot along the way. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I'm able to to bring a lot of my experiences into this role. And that's that's why I'm so um, committed to trying to make sure other people understand it, because I didn't growing up. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was quite, you know, going back to 16, man, that really was quite a phenomenon that Bernie put together, you know, and, and it was, you know, it was rough because it's some, you know, some people, it, it was debatable the impact that, you know, Bernie actually had on the Democratic Party and everything and, and you know, did it, did it fracture the party enough to where it allowed for this, other guy and the other side to you know I mean, that's our no, that's that's our yeah i said it right yeah yeah but you know but regardless of that you know Bernie really affected people and he really uh, got a, he really in, engaged a lot of people and and got people who otherwise would have gave up on democratic politics a long time ago uh, to back into the game and really tried to you know and feel feel that there was a there was an opportunity here to enact real change and um you know dave i know you were you were a pro bernie guy back then and um you know maybe you could speak on that from your point of view man but what what did that mean to you at that time well you know what i was gonna say a little bit similar to andre and definitely not on a scale but i do want to appreciate kind of the grassroots uh, campaigning back when uh, Chewy Garcia ran um, for mayor, you know, I was, that was something I was involved in. Spent a few, you know, spent some time doing some uh, door-to-door campaigning. It was a little cold outside that time. I didn't last too long. But I do understand, <laughs> I do understand, you know, the significance of it. I think that, you know, with, you know, coming from, I guess, coming from Bernie to coming to, back to Chicago, how did that bring you back down to earth? Because Bernie was a very, you know, idealized version of politics. And that, I mean, that's why while he resonated with a lot of people, I mean, the actual, you know, I guess coming back to Chicago politics, I mean, historically, Chicago politics are about as cold as the weather in many cases. And I think that where yeah. a lot of, you know, where you mentioned where a lot of people don't know what aldermen do, they have a cynical version of what aldermen do or a cynical version of what aldermen's roles are. So they know they exist, especially in Chicago. If nowhere else in the nation, people will understand what, a, you know, an alderman is. And I, But I think the issue is that historically, due to some negative uh, perception, you know, I guess, interactions aldermen had, they have a cynical view of what an alderman is. You know, so and I, I'm assuming yeah. your, you know, idea, position is to change that, at least yeah. in your role. No, you, you raise a really good point. I think I think for me, just like to be honest, the public school system doesn't teach you about city council, right? So I just didn't know growing up. But I think you're right. Those have grown who with an awareness. I mean, the connotation is earned because a lot of the old school aldermen and the way the city ran in the machine really was about like kind of lording over people and maybe you're handing out turkeys at Thanksgiving. But every other day, you're trying to figure out how to how to get up on somebody, right? Like there, there is 
a lot of history to how Chicago is. So you're right. It absolutely, that coldness ain't just the weather, right? Um, as it pertains to like Bernie, I think, I think, you know, so I'm, I became a democratic socialist through learning right off of Bernie, but really what I think he did and, and continues to do is he can speak very clearly about an issue. So you feel it in your gut, like the things that he was saying about the income inequality, about the millionaires and billionaires taking all the money and leaving like people like, like hurting. You could say you could say that to anyone in the country. They know exactly that you're speaking the truth. And I think that opened up a lane for people who would like just grew up poor, grew up tough to really connect. So I think, you know, I'm biased, of course. But had he been the nominee, I think he would have beat Trump in a heartbeat because Trump spoke to those same people that felt like somebody was taking their livelihood and like they can't get a leg up on anything. But the way he used that to fill that void was with a lot of nationalism and racism. Whereas Bernie was like economic, like real class conversations about socialism. So it's a, it is very interesting. And, and I think for me, I'm trying to balance that out, right. Of somebody who has those ideals and I'm operating within this system now. So how do you move the agenda forward and how do you teach people more to, to, to keep us Growing. And and I think that's something that what people don't understand is that it's a balance. I mean, you know, and I love Bernie, but I mean, the reality of it is I don't think Bernie would have meshed well with even Democrats, you know, if he had got in, because there are a lot of Democrats who are centrist. And, and I don't think that a lot of his views were a little bit too far to the left for a lot of them to kind of take in, a, you know, to take in a play, especially because a lot of them are, you know, being uh, you know, I guess sponsored in many cases by the powers that be. It's you know, it may yeah. not be the Co- it may not be the, the Koch brothers and things like that, but there are enough other political interest uh, groups that are you know lining their pockets as well. So you have to kind of so any Democrat that came in with a socialist agenda was going to get slammed. I mean, or challenged. You see that happen with AOC. You see that happen with you know it'll have Omar and Ayanna Presley. So. Bernie, yeah, <laughs> coming as president, yeah, yeah. as much as I love him, you know, I think that's the challenge. But kind of to tie that in with you, I think that's also the balance of politics in Chicago. You have to sometimes have a vote and have a position on something where at your core, you may not necessarily agree with it, but to move the needle in the discussion further, you may have to, you know, I guess kind of, you know, comp- make some compromises. And that's the unfortunate part of politics. You can't always you know, vote with your heart. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. And, you know, you're not going to be able to move your constituents further. I'm sure. Well, that, yeah. Yeah. Like, that, no, that that's that's really keen. I think I, I, I could definitely see how a lot of folks see it that way. I think the thing that I've recognized, one thing, you the, the beginning of your premise is spot on. You come in with this idea of, like, what you want to change. And then you realize the lay of the land you're actually navigating through to try to get that change to happen. Right. And that those are completely different opposed things because it won't be necessarily that like people are bought and sold, although there are some, there's some who are right. But when you're talking about 50 different people in city council, for example, that's 50 people with different perspectives, different lifestyles, different experience. So they're not, they're not going to be exactly where I am on an issue. Right. So I think, I think what we've got to be good at, and this is something that I've been learning and have been really successful in, is like having conversations with people you don't agree with at all in a way where it doesn't like set you off and automatically go into argument. 
right? So me, I can sit there and kind of, I think a lot of the, my battle rapper experience taught me how to be really cool under pressure. So when somebody says something that might set somebody else off, I kind of sit back and, and kind of absorb where you're coming from with that to figure out where we can find agreement. It is tough to get votes, but I think, like, I wouldn't say that I don't vote my heart, but I know how hard I have to work to try to bring people along to try to get something done. It is very tough. Yeah, and I think to add to that, I think that you, a lot of people have to take consideration. I mean, you have 50 automatic wars in the city, and they are represented by some vastly different groups. What Brendan Riley's constituent base is, is not your constituent base is. What's, you know, the Northwest, the far Northwest side that's heavy, heavily Polish, their, constitu- you know, their constituent base is not going to have the same interest as yours. And they may, you know, there are parts of the city that even though the city is Democratic, there are parts of the city that have conservative leanings. And, you know, that's oh, yeah. those, so those are people you have to figure out a way to find some median ground with. I mean, so, and I think that's just kind of the part of just being in a city that's diverse and you know in certain ways but also very segregated and a million percent i think a really good example of that's um affordable housing right so when we talk affordable housing when i before i came into the council i was like we make it mean we need to make it mandatory that 25 to 30 percent of of buildings that are like 10 units or more that those are affordable units that is how you get more affordable we'll be good right and then having conversation with some of the South and West side alder, alders who would be like, if you did 10 to 20, 30% affordable, nobody would even build in our part of town because of the historical segregation, right? People will go where they think it's, it's nice. They'll do that. So even the same legislation that you think is going to get the job done affects different parts of town and different people differently. So it is very much about taking all that into consideration. Yeah. yeah. And to your point, there's also a loophole. I don't know if they've closed it, but there's the develop like a developer tax loophole. Whereas if you want to pay a certain amount of money, you can kind of circumnavigate the uh, affordable housing percentage yep. guideline. So, I mean, yeah, there's ways to kind of avoid being even having to put a certain percentage of affordable housing in play and new, de- new construction development. Yeah, you can take it all in. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we, we speak of the challenges that go on in, in regards to, you know, negotiating and, you know, uh, being able to work with all the different aldermen in in the city and the different, you know, constituencies that they all represent and everything. And, you know, we, we think about Chicago politics and Chicago's history of, of the council. You know, you got the you've had periods where it was very feisty in there and it was very, you know, council wars and everything. And it was, yep. you know, it was very much, uh, you know, a battle in there. And, and you speak, you know, you speak about, uh, you know, having drawn back from your previous experience as a performer, as a battle rapper at times to be able to keep yourself cool. Yeah. You know, I, I've seen, I've seen, uh, you know, like I say, again, doing some research that you've had times where you've had a push and pull in between your more socialist leanings and the overall democratic caucus that maybe that exists in the council. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how is, how has that worked for you in regards to being a person who, you know, really has a set way of thinking born out of experience, born out of your, uh, your, you know, your uh, allegiance to certain politicians, but, yeah. you know, r- being having to run into, in general, a more moderate, you know, uh, 
uh, yeah, base yeah. Of, of elder of elder uh, lawmakers and stuff that who, who you have to work with every day. I mean, and you know, the, the, in relation to like the other alders, like what's crazy is it come, it kind of feels like college where like your colleagues in such a way that you can find a way to like talk and build with each other. But as far as like, you know, where, where, where I've been in like the middle of like that conflict of like the ideological side and like, like to your point, the regular status quo kind of side was the budget mm-hmm. vote, right? Like the budget vote, we had to negotiate. And, and it, what was interesting is in order for us to negotiate, there was a creation of a coalition between the black Latino and the progressive caucus that effectively were trying to negotiate with the mayor's team and try to figure out what we could win in the moment for people now because of COVID, right? Like we, were, we weren't getting the funding from the federal level, state level. We just had to solve the problem. So we negotiated and got $36 million for violence prevention uh, programs. We ended up getting a non-law enforcement mental health first responder model, right? Um, we were able to secure funding for things that we needed. So we, we got some stuff that was tangible in the moment. We need it right now. People are hurting, right? However, we knew that budget wasn't going to give us everything we wanted. We didn't defund or divest from police to the level that the movement wanted. There were things like that. So it was very difficult to be in that middle space where, you know, you won something because the year before we hadn't gotten anything. But because it wasn't what people were screaming in the streets. Right. Then people look at you a little sideways, to be real. So like having to navigate through that's tough. But. At the end of the day, I think for me, you got to vote with what you think you can live with. And for me, I could not bear to keep it moving without winning stuff for people in a time of COVID when we got an economic depression across the board. Okay. Now, I want to transition that right quick into probably the most pressing story that's in the city right now. And it's mm-hmm. something that you're not, you know, exact uh, directly involved in yourself but i know i'm sure someday you have an opinion i've seen online that you had an opinion on it, and that's the uh <laughs> the teachers union uh you know cps battle and yeah. it seems that to this point they've they've come to uh a, a, an agreement that you know to the at at the moment yeah they're getting uh, it's, yeah. yeah they're getting there but you know it's it's been a rough couple of weeks you know going back and forth those two going back and forth and you know, you've had Karen Lewis pass in the in the last couple of days, and you know, I, I just want to get your thoughts on on that whole situation, and yeah, you know, uh, well, I mean, you know, I would, absolutely sorry, my bad. Um, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I I was I was definitely here's the thing that was really frustrating, right? So, COVID comes, and we find out that the Latinx community has the most number of cases, the Black community is getting the most number of deaths, right? So clearly. If you're from a marginalized community or a person of color, like life is different. You could very well get taken out by this thing. So for for me, once that started, we're like, yeah, shut down everything you like you need to. Right. They wouldn't shut down the schools in the first place. The governor had to come in and intervene to stop the schools from the state level. Right. And even then we would have conversations early on about like, what are you doing as far as education how are you innovating how are you using virtual right cps waited at every moment up until the last minute because in their head they just be like we're going to open on this date this is our goal that's what we're going to do and they kept moving that way for months 
every briefing, everything that I was in, I'd ask them questions, they couldn't answer it. I'd make suggestions, they didn't listen to any of it. Neither did any of our colleagues that we gave uh, opinions. So mm. although it felt like the last couple of weeks for y'all, it had been going on for so long that what you all saw was, okay, if the, if CPS and the mayor aren't going to listen to the teachers and the things that everybody been saying, a majority of the city council, parents across the board, then I guess the teachers were going to go out and strike. And it wasn't until that moment that it became an agreement. So for me, I, I mean, I'm assuming y'all grew up in Chicago too, right? I know yeah, Dave yeah. here for a while, right? I'm a CPS kid. I know from growing up in CPS and being in multiple schools, you just don't trust CPS. They're going to say things that they're not going to deliver on. They're going to fluff the fluff it to make it look better than it is. So that's normal before COVID, how they're acting in a time where it's life and death. Yeah, no, I wasn't going to rock that way and say like, cool. sounds great on paper because I don't, I didn't have that trust. So I, I'm thankful that the teachers, I wish they didn't have to, but that they had, that they were able to take it to that level to further to be a negotiation and fingers crossed they're coming to some agreement. We'll find out. But I, if you ask me, I would have kept it closed until more people are vaccinated across the city. I wouldn't even move sooner than that. But that's just because I've seen too many people get sick and family members are dying out here. It's just not cool. It, it you know, the mayor has took the mayor, you know, we obviously know her position and you know, she's been sort of antagonistic and and against the the teachers union. Do you think that this the this particular issue it pretty much represents the the way that the the faults that the city may have been have had so far in regards to responding to COVID. I mean, it, it is very emblematic of it, right? I think. Uh, look, everyone's got, like I said, everyone's got their opinion, and the mayor's got her opinion on on how she feels is safe. And I, I you know, what? I get the argument that our kids are suffering as far as education because the schools are are closed. I, I get that. But what, what I would say back is, one, everyone's going under trauma under COVID. So it's not like everyone's not going through it. And it's not like we're competing with other countries on education. Right now, we need to hunker down. I think it does, it does show, unfortunately, kind of how the mayor responds to certain folks, right? Like, you can tell that at a certain point, it's more of a personal beef than about the, the actual subject. And so what I'm always hoping for is that people remove that and just look at the problem, look at the solution. Um, we're not there yet, but I hope we can get there. Dave, mm. you got anything? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's it, – I, I just – I'm looking for some good news out of home. I mean, I, I think that tends to be the biggest challenge is like, you know, whether I'm getting it from, you know, the Sun-Times or text message – groups it's just not you know everything is just seems to be on a downer and it's just i mean and not, not to fluff you know and, and I'm, I'm a person who believes in you know i guess looking at things with a you know and what for what they are but i don't know i'm just looking for hopefully some optimism hope um what i guess what's i don't know a big part of you know our black community has been i guess the population loss in addition to what's what's been going, I mean, I guess I remember that, you know, Kyle sent it to me a couple of weeks ago was, I guess, Lori is trying to have a come home party at some point for African-Americans that left the city. 
what are some of the things that you kind of what you what are some of the initiatives that you've been doing in your ward maybe to just kind of like retain the you know the native you know, latina uh, community um well, just oh thank you thank you for because you mentioned that earlier about like trying to stop gentrification right i'm, I'm gonna be real oh, yeah. i'm gonna keep it 100 in the 40th ward gentrification won a long time ago right like it, it's it, my board right. 52% white, 25% Latino, 17% Asian, 7% black, right? I think what I look at is how do you undo some of that, right? How do you break up the segregation? So what we've been working on is trying to get more of the affordable housing and to tell people, like, come up north. Like, if somebody wants to start a business, black-owned, LGBTQ-owned, any any groups that, that, like, typically feel like they're not included in other communities – Bring it to the 40th Ward. We've got Edgewater, Lincoln Square, Andersonville. And I've been trying to, one, do development, making sure we get business coming in that are that are from really a mix of across the city. And honestly, from places and people who typically wouldn't be able to set up north. I want them to come north. I go, the other thing that we work on is affordable housing. The other thing is through art. So right now we're going to create an arts district um, on Lincoln Avenue from like Western to Peterson almost. And so... Through art for me, and I think it's, it's obviously because of my life experience, you can get a lot of messages out to people. You can talk about different identities and culture in a way that allows other people to appreciate it in a different way. So I'm trying to create the environment of like, let's 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 end the segregation and integrate more. Like to, if you get people from south and west to come north and vice versa, then you're going to start seeing the money travel the same way when it comes to government investment. Yeah. Well. Yeah, no, no, I think those are some great initiatives from what I guess the part of the challenge is getting black businesses coming north. And I mean, I can literally count on one hand, maybe two, how many black businesses are north. There's this one that I can think of right offhand. It's like batters and berries, but it's not a great deal of concentration of African-American businesses north. What initiatives are you, you know, are you, is it going to be grants for, for business to move? Because a part of the issue is the cost of the real estate being a big, you know, barrier to entry for a lot of people. See, so that's, that's the part that's, that's interesting to me is it's not as high as one would think in certain parts of the ward. Right. So like, if I'm looking at my map, I can tell, Oh, this is, a, this is actually pretty good rate compared to the rest of the city, but nobody knows about it. Right. So a lot of my job, it, one, it's working with the chambers to identify like support systems as well. But it's also like a marketer. It's always it's also it's almost like telling people like, hey, you got to check out Lincoln Avenue. Come check out the spots or check out Andersonville. And like when we have those conversations with those business owners, really to do some hand holding instead of just pointing them in the direction to be like, hey, let me know what you think. Let's talk through it. What's your vision of what you want to get set up? Um, I think if you do that and make people feel welcome, then you got to see, you get to see the best out of folks and they're able to like really envision themselves in the space. So it, it, it might sound a little holistic and a little kind of like extra woke kind of, but I really do believe that because if you treat people like it's just cold numbers, they're not, they don't feel like they want to be a part of what you got there. But if you let them know, Hey, come on by, we're happy to support, help other people come patronize your business they're way more inclined to come through. Is the, this one last question? Does the city have like a campaign, like a, a anti-leave campaign? Because I mean, you know, the Indiana, the lure of Indiana and 
North and uh, Western Michigan is strong for a lot of people. And there's been a lot of cities that have been doing incentives for people, especially during COVID to move to, you know, like the, you know, the border to cities in Northwest Indiana and in Western Michigan. Is there any initiatives that the city has to kind of keep people in place or maybe bring them back? I'm trying to say it in the, in the nicest way possible, but you referred to like the invitation of the party, I guess, is the attempt that Chicago has been doing. But I think, I mean, <laughs> you know, like, the thing that's different about Chicago is you already have that draw. But I think what we've got to work on is an understanding of, of to your point, how competitive it actually is out there. Right. Like you're going to start not being as cool and shiny if, if you're moving backwards, if you're not allowing people to feel safe in their communities, if you're not allowing people to feel supported, if like sidewalks aren't like um, fixed when they're broken, you've got to be able to let people know what their return on investment is when they want to live here. And I think the more we work on creating that those kind of opportunities and show that work, the more people feel better. But if your property taxes keep rising and what you're getting back goes down, anybody's going to look at that situation and start looking elsewhere. So I think we really have to figure out how best to do that and that'll help us retain. But, you know, the way, the way the city has been going, it's been pushing out. I think it was something like 10,000 families or something more like that every year, black families. Mm-hmm. And you've got to invest in the neighborhoods, that, neighborhoods that have not had it over generations or else you're going to continue to lose people. And that's something that, I think we all know, but we need to see more of actually happening when it comes to the dollars that get invested in the city. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a big problem is, you know, the mayor and unfortunately it seems like when there's always a first, when it's African-American, when it's a woman, they always inherit, you know, and forgive my language, they always inherit a steaming pile of shit. And what I mean by that is really the pension deficits for the police and firefighters. And, you know, from what I understand, for the last pension negotiation for the firefighters, they actually came out ahead. And, you know, I love our first responders. I have a family of, you know, members of first responders. But the reality of it is it's not a sustainable arrangement. And the rest of the city ends up getting the short end of the stick every time that the city, you know, has to fund that pension deficit. And ultimately, they're paying for the sins of just bad deals made by previous mayors. Well, I I push back a little on that only because it's not necessarily the deficit. It's it's the debt. So so to clarify a little bit. Right. Just imagine you're maxing your credit card out. All of a sudden, all that extra like the credit, the extra fees you get because you've already run your card. You keep paying that extra interest over and over and it keeps multiplying. Right. Anybody who's had a credit card when they started out and didn't know how to use a credit card knows what I'm talking about. Right. Mm. So. The problem is what what original daily did is borrowed off of that credit. And instead of instead of paying it back, borrow more money. So you did like a balance transfer to a new credit card to get more credit and just screwed up the bill more. So what we're actually trying to fix is that credit problem. It's not necessarily the pension debt. Like, you know, these city workers don't have like social security checks coming in. They don't have 401ks. So that pension is that promise for the work they put in for the city. But because the rich folk and the powerful ones were playing with those funds, that created the problem. And now now we're in a bad situation because that credit keeps getting worse and worse. So I think a lot of what we're thinking about through the budget is 
man, y'all broke my heart actually talking about it because we were tr- we were on a good track to fix it. Like we were moving in a direction and then COVID hit. And on this last budget, they had to borrow five hundred million dollars. And when you're borrowing that amount of money, that amount of debt. So it, it is going to take a lot. It is going to take federal, state, you know, really changes to try to fix some of it. I, I agree with you about like not spending so much on certain things. But when I think about what we're spending, it's 40 percent of the corporate fund, which goes to CPD. That money right there is so it's such a bloated budget that you have to look at that when it find cuts and that that's kind of what we're looking at going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was referencing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that is that you have pensions, but I mean, you know, but you also, but the way the city prioritizes things and you meaning the teachers earlier city makes the teachers take furlough days, you know, budget cuts, layoffs. I mean, they've never taken a fine tooth comb to CPD. And I mean, the thing is, no, no offense, is because kind of the snowflake mentality. And it's meaning that every time that somebody does a push on, the, you know, to see on CPD for cutting funds, they get a little sensitive. And I think that, you know, maybe I'm sure it's like some of the social wave, the defund the police movement isn't helping to helping that anymore. But, you know, yeah. I, I think it's just a combination of that. But, you know, and they the city ends up kind of kowtowing to you know the cpd not wanting to go after what really needs to be cut because it's yeah i mean you know i understand the importance of pensions i was a former railroad man i understand it but at the same time it's not a sustainable thing the city is credit bond rating is actually lower so to put things in perspective i mean you know you're like at a six you know somewhere between a five and a 600 credit score so there is you know ultimately you're borrowing at a higher interest rate and that's what people don't understand about the city is that you know it's in bad shape financially as a result thereof one and that's that's absolutely right i think um the part about cpd that's challenging right is that because we have not provided other public safety measures that people believe in when things get real, like the carjackings are picking up, right? People are like, you need more police. It is automatic that that is what needs to happen. So when people go, we need more money for more police, for more safety, it becomes a lot harder to talk about like, no, 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 let's tighten that up. Well, you uh, agree. But the issue at hand is that you have a lot of them on DI. I mean, and that's something that no one talks about. You have a whole lot of them on DI. I mean, they're collecting the check and they're not doing anything. I mean, ultimately, you know, I think it should be the city's position to make those that are on DI shit off, or excuse my language, shit or get off the pot. And then put active police on the street to deal with the issues, as you mentioned, like carjackings. They should, I mean, if you're... Right. I think the other thing is we don't direct police officers to only do crime and investigation we call them when there's mental health issues when something's going on labor so i think if we did a better job of saying this is specifically what cpd does this is a specific amount of funds we're going to put towards it here's the funds we're going to put towards these other solutions then you'd have a better like fitting economy or and budget that i think would be better for the city but you know you gotta have the guts to say that to people you can't just when they get scared, you can't be like, yo, we're going to get you some more cops. You have to be able to explain what's going to work and what's not. 
Yeah, but I think it's also restructuring their budget and, like I said, making sure that the ones who are on DI force them into – I mean, if they have to be forced into retirement or tell them – I mean, we can't – I mean, as a former railroad person, we can't sit on disability for just indefinitely. At some point, you have to leave and you have to go out on disability outside of the company. But, you yeah. know, you can't sit on the city's coffers in, you know, you know, work for the rail for railroad that I worked for. So I think a same, a, you have to have more of a structured approach to yeah. where you kind of look where you can cut the fat, where there has been people violate, uh, running up overtime, you know, overtime violations. You have to go through it. And you have to run it more like a corporation or corporate business. You have, I mean, I think that's just a part of the issue. I mean, is it? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think some of it is. I think I just think that, like, when you're talking about CPD specifically, the fraternal order police and those union agreements that they've got yeah. really, really provide they're, a lot of protection there, right? Yeah. So the way yeah, that they're advocated for is it means a lot, and and there's there's not much nuance that goes on in regards to when you think of issues of public safety. You know, there's always another crisis that pops up, like carjacking like mm -hmm. shootings or whatever that have half the city scared. And then it's, uh, it's all about, you know, even though half the city may not even be affected by it or more than that, but then, well, yeah. then it's all about, you know, it's all about putting that money, keeping that money for the cops. When it's also like communities that have typically been profiled and brutalized by the police still are going to ask for police when there's carjackings, right? Sure. We've got to, we got to do a good job. Like in the 40th ward and across the city, we got a group called Communities Partying for Peace. And these are former gang members who actually go in the current gang like areas and, and crews and really resolve conflict that way. And, and have been really effective in like tampering down some of the activity we had in the ward. So I think we need to be uplifting some of those solutions as well, because we could find out they're more effective than what we, you know, what's been not working for so long. But what, what are some, Let's speak a little bit more on some of the things, particularly that you may have that maybe that that you are. You, you know, you spoke a little bit earlier about the the arts district that you're trying to enact up there. You know, and and you speak of that too. That sort of seemed uh uh sort of sort of an influence off of a uh, T.O. Hardman's work and everything in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, they, uh, yeah. yeah it, but uh, you know, what what other things are sort of that you sort of found in particular? For your district that and, and and what are some of the you know innovations you know if you got anything innovative that or uh, just yeah, yeah. unique to to your to your war that you're looking that, I mean, that I, you've enacted that you yeah, know I, that you want to uh, promote a little bit what we've been doing yeah for sure so you, like you can brag you know you you used to be a rapper you can brag you know how to brag a little bit, right? you know? um <laughs> So, like, you know, we've got the Ainsley Arts Plaza. So on the corner of Lawrence and Western, we created a full-on public art plaza where we got a mural on the whole street. We took over part of Lincoln and, and took it over for the public for permanent. Uh, now we've got, like, seating. We're going to be able to do, like, shows and performances outdoors. We're doing the whole um, arts district up, like, Lincoln. But, but the thing that I really am proud of that we did, and a lot of it kicked off during COVID, is we created what's called the 40th Ward Neighbor Network. So we got about two to 300 volunteers, neighbors across the ward that have helped us do everything from delivering uh, resources to people who needed food or whatnot, um, to sewing masks when people weren't able to get masks. We got rid of like 20,000 masks of just neighbors sewing them before they were prevalent out there for purchase. Um, we have people now that are called the Shovel Squad who literally like 
will shovel 60 to 70 houses uh, every, every time it snows. So the way we really were able to bring neighbors to really get engaged and volunteer and help each other out and be a community throughout all this, it's like, it's stuff that I've gotten like articles covering because no other war does anything like that yet. So I think there's things like that that I want to make sure that we keep bringing in the public to understand that government's your vehicle. And if we come together as a community, you get better results. And so I think the more successful we are with that, the more people will see it kind of spread across the country. I mean, across the, the city. I'm getting next level over here. Um, but maybe eventually the country too, but definitely in the city. That would be nice to, you know, and, and I, I want to talk a little bit and, in, in, uh, you know, towards the end here about, you know, other youthful people who can maybe other ways that the people of our age and younger can, can really get into the, the, you know, the local government game and really, you know, try to change things. And, but, uh, you know, to that degree, you know, if I say influence is important, you know, inspiration is important. Mm -hmm. And I think for you as a, as a person who's, who's been a creative, you know, that's definitely uh, been a, a role in your life. Let's, let's, let's get into that. Yeah, uh, you know, starting from your from your origins, you know, you went to Lane Tech, yep. and uh, you know, you, you speak you speak about coming up in the '90s, listening to, you know, people like Nas and and you know uh, KRS One and Rock Him and all these different people, and you know, pe you know, you were hit, you 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 be, you like me and Dave, you know, we we all late '30s, you know, yeah. we came up about the same uh, the same age, so you become you become an MC, you go by the name of Prime. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, you 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 know, you you get involved with a lot of uh, you know, interested people in the city here. You know, you a person who on my radar for a minute, but uh, I really wanted to reach out to you after we talked to Mister Greenweeds about a month ago, <laughs> uh, yeah, and he yeah. made mention of you, uh, you know, on this show. So, uh, you know, speak a little bit about that that uh, coming of age in Chicago yeah. during that time is coming of age as an artist and, and getting involved with different people uh, across the city who are, uh, you know, creatives as such and what that I meant mean, to you, you, you and your progression. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I was somebody who's raised in an immigrant family, a lot of old school parents. I got a lot of whoopings. Right. And I would never leave the house. And it wasn't until high school that I kind of broke out of that. And, and a lot of it was because of the, the friends that I had who were MCs and DJs and everything else, right? So I went from this kid who was super sheltered and socially awkward to a dude who was going to Navy Pier every weekend battling people from one end to the other or going to the point, right? Or just literally city going to every like open mic, trying to battle people at Subterranean, like doing all these things to, to build my name up. And what it did for me is you go from somebody who's trying to express themselves and doesn't know how to talk to people because you've been sheltered for so long to somebody who's on a stage and getting cheered on, right? You're getting, I was getting known across the city because I was one of the few rappers who was like Latino who was out there getting busy. And so all those things helped me and my confidence. It learned me to, to speak better in public. It learned me how, taught me how to, really be entrepreneur because we we're out there selling mixtapes at Grant Park and like the taste of Chicago, like all those things brought me a lot of joy of a community and also like taught me a lot about myself. And what's, what's wild is it wasn't until recently that I look back 
that I realized a lot of the socialism that I feel came from the hip hop community. Like in New York, when they removed all of the, the music programs from, from public school, that's what got people to like go check out their parents' records and do the park jams and put everything together and, and bring the art and culture and create a, a community. And that's very much socialism, right? You're bringing all these things from people and you're creating something better. You're making something out of nothing, right? Sure. So that really empowered me. At the same time, and this is something that took me a lot of time to evolve and learn, it also reinforced a lot of negative things in me. Like, it's very misogynistic, very homophobic. You're insulting people when you're doing battle raps, right? You're trying to see you could go in and you're being celebrated for it. So it was hard to separate that. And it took a lot of really exposure to different people and different friends and, and understanding that just because you say something that may sound cool in a cipher doesn't mean that it's not something that's toxic or hurting somebody, even if yeah. they're not in that sphere. So it, it really, it really shaped a lot of my life. I mean, I went to, I toured nationwide. I was on MTV uh, DFX. I was on HBO blaze battle, which is the first MC battle. Right. I battled Wyclef. Like it's, it, it took me places I never would have imagined but there was a bit of a cost because I was still learning who I was and, and, and I'm grateful for all of the, the, the amazing things it brought me. And I'm glad that I'm in this space now. So if there's new kids who are coming on board, I can kind of say, look, it is cool to express yourself however you want, but you want to think about how those words matter and they're going to stick with you for the rest of your life. Right. Sure. It, it, uh, yeah. It, it, um, I would have never guessed I'd be here. And so it's it's really cool to, to have that background and be able to tap into different communities that way. You bring up some very great points as far as just the you know being the balance of being skilled and good at something and not being toxic at it. So that you know, I, ironically enough, some of the most well sure as you know, some of the best well known people in hip hop, even at this point now, you know, a lot of their content is toxic. I find you know, and I you find yourself unfortunately sometimes. Fortunately, unfortunately, sometimes enjoying it. Like you know, I was talking to Kyle recently about Freddie Gibbs, and you know, lyrically, there's he, he, I don't, he, you know, there's very few people as good as a Freddie Gibbs. Is what are you talking about? Toxic, definitely. There's nothing, yeah. <laughs> nothing right. positive. There's nothing positive about what a Freddie Gibbs talk about. Is he very good at what he what he does as far as skill level? Yeah, he's or like know. like a Griselda, right? Benny the Butcher. Yeah. Right. people yeah. who you know because it's art there's an aesthetic that you rock with but you know man they're kind of saying some stuff that like ain't really that cool and so i think that it'll be interesting to find that challenge because i think i think you know because you all said we're all kind of similar in age like whenever somebody would try to do something that was woke people would kind of give it the side eye because it didn't like it ain't bang the way, right? You know what I mean? So, like, trying to find somebody who can, like, really walk that line is, is super challenging. But I think there's a lot of people that, that that get close. Like, Kanye's got a lot of really dope things where he walks a really good line. Common, I think. I mean, I'm yeah. doing a Chicago guys, right? But, yeah. Well, you know, Common is a guy who I think of in particular. He's a guy who... If you think about his early records, he he did say quite a bit of things <laughs> oh, that's yeah. homophobic and racial in, in ways that could offend. Like 
right. and he's he's sort of he sort of backed <laughs> off from some of those things in his his maturation and he's his music is definitely you know probably you could say post B post maybe uh, Electric Circus a lot different than it was prior to that. Yeah, but, it, was um, like, it, was, it was like the Erica Badu period, and it was like yeah, okay. yeah, the, oh, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, crochet yeah. pants and all. Yeah, of I course, but but, oh, but, yeah. but you know, there's a match. There are maturations that occur with artists, and I, I think another group that that sticks out to me sort of is, is the Beastie Boys, like the way that they acted pre maybe Paul's Boutique or Check Your Head or even mm -hmm. the Ill Communication to becoming like you know uh, activists for. You know, activists and and really, you know, bigging up women in a lot of ways and activists for uh, what's that uh, nation? I'm trying to think of that nation that beats with China, the small, uh, oh, small. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, slipping me. No, but I, I think there's like, yeah. I think you know, it's a good example. Nas is a real good example because if you were to go to halftime or like Illmatic, there's a sure. lot of he's saying that are like extra. You know, like like the stuff that everyone would be like, <laughs> oh, he said. But if you listen to a Nas album now, the lyrics are there, still tight, still dope, but you can tell the subject matter is a little different, right? Or like some of the J albums are like that, that I think, I think a most deaf, a black thought. You've got a lot of artists that I think do a really good job of balancing it out. And um, it's just cool to see. It's cool to have all those options. And, but I, I want to speak too, uh, before we, you know, yeah. on, on this type, on this subject, because, you know, you in particular, you had to answer for, you know some of the lyrics that you that people you know people use some of your lyrics against you when you were camp in campaign mode when you were trying to get into the the council, and to me there was there was sort of a this it was sort of a dissatisfaction that I felt in regards to that because you know like I said being a person from the hip hop culture who can contextualize a lot more of the stuff I think people from outside the culture have standards and they have certain double standards that they may utilize against people who come from the hip hop culture. And, you know, I, I understand, you know, how you feel against about your personal, uh, you know, about your personal art and everything. And, you know, uh, you know, but I, I, I worry about in, in the future, maybe how you may have people who come from hip hop who come from certain backgrounds and they may have certain things, attributed to them, you know, and it, it, not even just lyrics, but stuff that you may say online, writing and stuff like yeah. that. Yep. And, and and people may hold that against certain people who otherwise can be, you know, heralds of change, but yeah. they may have, uh, they may have had some sort of controversial things attributed to them, controversial writings and whatnot. And I think I, I could see that being used as a double standard in many ways against people from our communities you know, that, that, that's just something I worry about. No, I, th I think that's real. Like, I think the one thing that's hard to communicate to people, but it's true, is that, like, if you're hoping for somebody to be perfect, expect disappointment, right? Like, n everyone's got their, their journey that they had to make to be who they are. And mm -hmm. I think for me, a thing that's very different, there's a couple things. Uh, on, the, on one, here's what I realized. When I was growing up, I felt like an outsider, period. Like in society, you don't feel like you're part of a community if you're a person of color, you're growing up broke, right? You, you just don't feel yeah. like you're not you're not the Brady Bunch or whatever you see on TV. So you feel like an outsider, right? Yeah. For me, when I got into my little hip hop crew, you end up replicating that out of a feeling of spite is what it felt like to me. Like, oh, okay, 
I can't be in with that crowd, then we're going to create our own crowd and you can't come into what we're building. And I think that felt like in the 90s, like the keeping it real phase. Like, oh, you can't you can't rock with us because we're right. You do that because you want to feel tighter with your community, but you're also kind of blo- excluding people and kind of pushing them away. So I think I didn't understand that dynamic. And I realized that like none of that made me feel better. Like I, there was an ignorance in that. And that if you create the kind of place where everybody's invited, then you can kind of grow the kind of world we want to live in. And, and it took me, it took me a lot. I went through a lot of like real rock bottom things that I was like, I'm making some bad decisions that got me out here like this. And I think for me personally, the ability to grow and to talk about that growth, to admit, hey, I didn't come out woke. Like I, I was ignorant. I said a lot of toxic things. I had a lot of behavior that wasn't cool, but I've learned and I'm, I'm here to make amends and I have been for those actions. I think people give you the credit. Now to your point though, Sometimes people don't even care about that. They just know they don't want you to win anything. And you're a person of color with the history you have. So why don't we play that up? Because for people who don't know anything about the context, to your point, they get to put whatever racial lens they get to put on it. Yeah. I, I, you know, the only thing that I would kind of to, to add on to that is say is that when you're going up against somebody 36 years in politics in Chicago, there's, you know, it's pretty sure he's got some skeletons in his closet. I sure as hell will pull him out. I don't know. And I think that, yeah. you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm going, well, you know. That's real. <laughs> no, that's, that's real. But in our race, what we knew was if I tried to go that route, then you're reinforcing the battle rapper image. Right? Uh, like, if I was trying to go at it, then they're like, yeah. look, see? he's angry. This angry yeah, he's the angry, guy. aggressive guy. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I, we had to I, I, yeah, sorry. no, you were saying I, that. My bad. No, I was gonna say I can see that, but I still I don't know. Chicago politicians, you're it's no way you're in office for four decades and you don't have. Yeah. I I don't know. I would have I would have figured I would have done that even if it was just subtle. I, yeah. I mean because yeah I mean and I think that's something that we have to kind of point out is that just because you weren't you know, whatever role you were in. This, I'm just using you as an example. Yeah. But when you're going up against somebody in a position like that and say, you know, you don't have a squeaky clean background, but I think we need to just be honest about that the people we're facing many times, especially if they're the incumbent, many times themselves don't have one either. And yeah, I think that's something that needs to be called. That's the But in the moment, Andre, when you were, you were like, like we, we speak about your race and you went against – like Dave said, a 36-year veteran, Patrick uh, J. O'Connor. And, yep. you know, that, that was an uphill battle, to say the least. You know, what was <laughs> yeah. what was your feelings like? What was your emotions like at the time? Were you struggling to – were you struggling against certain things that you may have felt with your, with your nature yeah. or – you know, Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it 100. Out of all the races that happened that year, except for the mayor's race – we had the biggest race because I own, we raised like 200,000. Pat O'Connor had one and a half million dollars against us. That was like more than 10 times the amount of money we raised to your point, 36 years, all they went at it. They did online TV ads against me, a website. They did every shot they could take. Um, I went through it all. I, like I knew 
and this goes back to the battle rapping because when you watch like like any of the battle raps that occur the person who's receiving the attack it's all about how cool you look like i could i could take it you're not knocking me off of my square that is the that is the goal with all those attacks it's not it's not always like oh look at him they want you to feel ashamed of who you are and who you were in a way that just allows you not to focus and it was the first so we made it to the runoff and then immediately every neighbor every mailbox in the 40th ward had my rap lyrics and like the most horrible pictures of like who i was and like every day mailers every single i got there's a stack of like there was a donald trump one they put a red hat a red hat on me they did a game show of who said the most horrible misogynist they were going ham um and that first day it broke me like like my parents live in the ward you know what I mean? Like they were getting the mailers and I had to, there was a time where I had to wear one of those, um, y'all have seen it, like the little posture, like uh suspension things you wear, you wear them around your arm, they kind of stiffen your back up. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so right. back yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had to put one of those on just to keep myself standing up straight and looking people in the eye. Cause the first couple of days, every door I was knocking, I was like, they all got these mailers. So it, 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 I know it traumatized me in a lot of different ways that I'm still like working through, but you know, kind of something that I've come to the conclusion of now is like, and I, and I said it back then, the person who I was, isn't the person I am now, but they really want to make you feel that way. And ultimately I think in my conversation with the neighbors, people just knew that, like, look, I just want to help. Like, what issues do you have? And and they understood. And, and yeah, we, we we took them out. It was a tough one. But now our, our, I keep cracking the joke, and it's not terribly funny, that, like, the, the grand prize we got was a pandemic. Because as soon as we won, now COVID comes, and we got to work through all that. Yeah, I think that's what our mission kind of with Lightfoot getting the job is that every time you end up as a minority, you end up getting a seat. You end up inheriting a big pile of shit. I mean, you fight so hard for it, but then it's, you know, you end up having to unravel a lot of the shit that's been shoveled kind of to the door over that period that the incumbent had been in office. So, I, you know, that's the... That's it's, tough the too, cause, well, it's tough too, Dave, because like you say, you start off with that's that pile that you got to shovel through and then from the outside your constituents especially the ones who have been economically depressed socially depressed they look at you and they see they look at that big pile and they say you know you you getting rid of that but you're not getting rid enough of the pile and it's you know it's it, I mean, it, it, it sort of it sort of warps the it sort of warps uh what the, the expectations and what people want from you as a as a politician as a policymaker. Oh, I mean, I, I think I think the fact that we don't teach the public what these levels of government really do sets us up for failure because the expectations are higher than you can deliver, right? Like some of these problems that we all have, and we know because we live here, they're centuries old. We're talking generations of problems that we still haven't addressed. Like I'm a real. Capitalism is a problem. When there's a profit motive for everything that people are doing, they're not going to look out for the people that need it. We're the wealthiest country in the history of the world, and we got people starving without homes and everything. And it is, 
a horrible reality, but it's also unrealistic to think that like any one person is going to be able to turn that around. You just got to plug away it as best as you can. And if people know that you're doing it with a good heart and you're putting in the best work that you can, I think they give you the credit. But look, look at that things on a wide, the wide angle view, basically from the national point of view at the moment, you know, we, we got through this election. We got through this attempted insurrection uh, from Donald Trump's followers. And now we, we have, we have a president right now who is, is of the left, but is not, necessarily he's he's a he's a consensus builder he, he yeah. wants to be and 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 that's in in some ways if if you if you're dealing in any way with our political system you want to build a consensus you know because you that's the way you get things done you know you speak to that you spoke to that a bit yourself in regards to the evolution of your thinking but i'm, I'm sure as a socialist democrat there are a lot of things that you see on every level of government that just dissatisfy you like like yeah. you know, Dave Dave gave mention to those people who are representing on the national level, AOC, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the squad, all those people, you know, and, and Bernie, of course, being the front, uh, forerunner for that way of thinking. But you know, uh, what do you think is going to take for this nation? Because so much of this nation, they when they think of socialist policy, socialist thinking, they just go straight to. Uh, to Russia, Mother Russia, and, and yeah, you know they think true. they think that we're going to become what the USSR was, but they don't know that there's so many policies that are already in our country that are basically socialist, <laughs> and the money, yeah. you know, social security is social in the in the title, you know, it's like, no, but no. they don't think of stuff like that. Here's the thing, and the people that we that we like put on the pedestal are socialists. Martin Luther King was social Fred Hampton, Black Panthers, right? So like, I think, I think you're right. For me, the best way I think you get across socialist ideas to people is by showing and proving rather than talking about it, right? Like everything that I would talk to neighbors about, about, hey, we're gonna do this. We're gonna make sure we have the menu budget in a democratic process where you get to vote on where the funds go. People were like, I like that. I rock with that. It wasn't me just saying, Hey, uh, have you ever tried socialism? Right, because it'll it won't work. Um, but in walking up with a ber- with a beret, like <laughs> yeah, with the comrade. Road, you know, let me like, hit you with some comrade. You're right. You're right. Exactly. Like I think people that are already down, they're all for it. But your average neighbor, which is the majority, they're just looking at you like I don't. Uh, all I know is what people have told me and what I've seen on TV or whatever. Right. So I think for us, it is very much like a public transit system, the fire department. These are all socialist things. I don't have to tell you they're socialist. It's like, let me just show you why they're effective and continue building on that. Now, at the national level, though, I'm going to be real. I think there's a problem in trying to be a consensus builder in this moment. I think, like, I think, one, it was made very clear to us. And by us, I mean, like, anybody who's not like the Trump folks that, like, they weren't here to try to come to some consensus. They weren't trying to make friends. They knew that it was their last days for like the white nationalist folks. And they're like, we got to double down. We, right. Yeah. And I think that it would be particularly disappointing if Biden tried to come in to build consensus after watching what happened with Obama. Right. Obama came in under the same thing. He had a full on mandate. People were ready to like hit the streets and continue. And Obama was like, I got this y'all. I'm gonna try to bring everybody together 
and we got to see what the Republicans did for eight years. So after all that, and then you got Trump coming in, if we go back to like, let's try to be friends again, rather than, oh, we have a majority and we've got to push these things together to bring solutions for the people that need it the most, you're going to lose that seat. You're going to lose a Congress in the next couple of years and you'll lose a seat because what people want is solutions. They are hurting and they're tired of hearing why you can't do something. This is a time where the Democratic Party can assert itself, deliver those solutions to people and say, here's why you need to rock with us going forward. And I think that'd be the best way to go rather than trying to like water down things and not live up to promises you're making. You, you do that, they'll go they'll go to a better Trump that's smarter than the last one. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem, right? Like, yep. Yeah, it, it is and they and they're gonna be out there because and then you know there's something that you know there's some stuff that we, we may talk about on the show in the future too that like some it's 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 disheartening to me uh the way that people have navigated and, and really uh sort of regrouped already like in in the wake of what happened in the capital there's people who are all there's pockets of thought and thought leaders are developing in these pockets online in in real life irl as well but you know it but they're getting out their words and they're getting out that they're, th- oh, they're yeah. getting out their ideas and and there's still people there's still people who are doing really traitorous stuff in our federal government I mean, and, they attacked you know, the Capitol building. It's you yeah. know, like, that's not a one. But, but thing. To, for, yeah, for right. the people who to even back that up in any way, there's people who still are like, like giving cre- credence yeah. to what was done on that day. Well, and, and then it, there's also the it makes no sense. And there's also Republicans in Congress giving them cover, talking about like, hey, why do we got to keep bringing that up? We need to move forward as a country. Yeah, like you're giving them cover to continue thinking that that way is a right way to move. So it's these are definitely scary times. And like I said, I think if you I think the next Trump character will be such a slicker character than the Trump we just had, the circus clown that was running the White House, that it's going to be tough. Somebody's going to pick up the moves that Trump did, learn from it. And if we don't provide the results for our folks that need it, we're going to lose them. I mean, and they, they'll probably be better at enacting policy, which was the one thing that saved us from from a lot of things from Trump is that he just he just was horrible at enacting policy. He had no idea how to do the job. Oh, so he, I mean, if you if you have a person with his way of thinking, with his you know consensus within the Republican part Republican Party, and right wing you know uh, right wing agitators across the country, and they're able to get you know, to enact policy, you know, that's going to be dangerous, very dangerous. Yeah. No, I, that, that's why I think, like, this is a very crucial moment on what we do now that, you know, it's like, like when we bailed out Wall Street and we bailed out the banks and the people that needed the most weren't getting anything, that's when you get angry. And that's when you, you move away from people that you that you thought were fighting for you and you open yourself up to whoever's willing to listen and that, that can take you to a bad place. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we we gonna uh, give you. Uh, I, I know you say you want to get out and do some shoveling, so we we're not gonna hold you for, uh, <laughs> for too much longer. You know, God bless you on that. <laughs> do a little winter. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, but uh, before we go, I just wanted to get your thoughts on you know taking it back to the city and taking. I know, you know, you probably know have have learned a lot more about people on the ground and everything that are doing things to you know try to bring about change, positive change, and uh, in the city. And and I just want to get your thoughts on you know, I say for for the average person in Chicago, the you know who may have similar thoughts as you or who. You know, like you say, five, six years ago, you didn't know exactly what an alderman did. If you, you know, for people who don't know what, who to today don't know what aldermen really do, or you know, state senators, or you know, uh, you know, uh, representatives, or whatever. Like, you know, what, how, what would be some of the the advice that you would give to someone who wants to be a little bit more politically active, or just, you know, maybe even possibly get into a their local race in in the next few years and get in or get or just get on and involved in some way where they can uh, enact change and do things that can better their uh community what, what would be some yeah. of the advice or uh you know direction that you would give to people like that this is gonna sound really dorky i'm just gonna put that out there but like nowadays you can google it i think i i learned a lot of it to be honest just going online like what is an alderman right i think if you were to spend time to just find out who your alderman is or who your state senator is and just send them an email just to find out like, Hey, I just want to get to know you. I think it's a good way to start because the hardest thing that I think people need to get over. And it took me a long time is to realize that they're not special. We're not special, right? Because we have a position. It's a job we got elected to, but the reality is I'm fortunate. Anybody could have been in this spot. So I think, once once neighbors realize that and they go, oh, like your job is to work for me. I'm not putting you on a pedestal because you're an alderman or whatever. I think that's the beginning of really looking at like if your job is to work for me as a neighbor, what are you doing for me? Like that's a different conversation to have with an elected official. But I think that's part of it. I would say, um, you know, there's groups on the ground. You got folks like BLM Chicago. You got Good Kids Mad City. You got United Working Families. You got Reclaim Chicago, the People's Lobby. There's like a lot of these groups that are working to change things that plugging into any of them gives you a good insight into how to maneuver. And if somebody wanted to run, you know, you jump on your first campaign or two and get a handle and see see if it's really something you want to go forward with. Um, and then you just do it. You know, you just got to you, you grow your crew of people. And you continue having meetings and talking about things that are important to you. You speak your heart and you talk to neighbors sincerely. You tell them about what you want the world or the city to look like. And if they believe in, in what you believe, they'll rock with you. And, and that's that's what got me here. And it's what I'm going to continue to do. Um, and, and I think the neighbors, they get it. They know that I'm not here just for the spot, that I'm here because I want to make things better for everybody. And and what do you see yourself in, in- you know, going forward, are you, are you going to stay at this level? Do you have ambitions going beyond the aldermanic level or, or, or are you just, you know, you, you still trying to master this right now? Yeah. I mean, I, I like, there's no way I thought this is where I was going to end up. I thought I was going to be on stage rhyming somewhere. Right. So I think, <laughs> I think for me, I've always just been open to what opportunities present themselves. Like, I think if you do good work and you treat people well, and, and you build relationships, opportunities open up. So when I think about this role, I do think of myself as a rookie of like, hey, I need time to understand this role and how we could do better. 
because I've learned how to do this for a year and a half under a pandemic. That is not the best way to learn as a rookie, right? But but in some ways it is. I've had to figure out emergency level stuff off the top, but I want to get a handle on how to be a better legislator, how to pass like laws that actually change the way the city works. So I, I'm very happy in the position that I'm in and I'm glad to be able to serve. If something down the line were to present itself, if the people that elected me think it's a way to move, then that's a conversation I have. But I'm not one of these folks that are like trying to be president next week or whatever. Like I, I'm a mm. city kid who wants to take care of my neighbors. Yeah. Do you still feel like making music? <laughs> yes, but it's tough because like I've written. I, so one, I did a show. I did a show. I did a verse at the Metro after I got elected to kind of just see what it was like, right? Because I didn't want to lean in too much. And then New Year's Day, I wrote a verse. So like, I would not be surprised if at some point I record something, but I want to make sure that if I do, that it's showing people the growth as well, right? Like I can't go back to the same kind of rapper I was. I got to take all the stuff that I've learned and find a way to make something that that's meaningful if I do. And to be real, I think people would look at me funny if they're like, yo, this this guy's out here recording the albums. Why don't you go shovel my sidewalk real quick if you're going to go out there, <laughs> spit a verse or whatever. So I think for me, um, it's just finding the right way to do it. You know, like, I, I think there'll be opportunities, but I don't want to push that either until it presents itself. You know, I think, I you, want- I think you're doing it right. What the, I, I was going to jump to you, Dave, but I was, I was going to say right quick, I, I think you're doing it right because, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at uh, – there's too many famous people out there, you know, people who, you, you know, they assume that just because they're famous that they can run for president. And, you know, of course, <laughs> of course, one guy, one guy got it done, know, but, right? you know, yeah. And and there's, there's, there's one guy from, you know, that we all know who I think assumed that. And, and, uh, you know, I think if he had more sense, he would have probably, went the route that you've gone and, and did it from the ground up instead of trying to be like, Oh, well, I'm going to just run for president because I, because I said a few years ago back that I was going to run for president. So I would just do it. And and I'm, you know, you know, no, what's funny is he should have been listening to rhyme fest because rhyme fest ran for all of right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Really like, um, cause, cause a fest for me was a real big mentor and inspiration, like learning from how he did it. So yeah, it's real. Sure. Yeah. No, I was going No, yeah, I was going to say that I think it's it's good to, you know, one see what you can transition to post rap. And I think that's something that we didn't, you know, having you on the show is something that's big cuz we talked to a lot of, you know, you talk to people and they're still in, you know, rap but at some point, you know, you got to figure out what's the next move. And I think if anything that shows you, you know what, be, you can still be active you know, and sitting the transition is maybe silly politics and maybe something else. But for a lot of people, they don't necessarily make a transition. And yeah. I mean, as so you got me thinking rap right now because there's also like so many rappers that like like MF Doom, rest in peace, right? Like you have artists that can rap about adult stuff and grow that way. But you're right, like figure out your balance. Like you're not gonna be, you know, you're not going to plan them off the mixtapes anymore. So. You got to figure out how you're going to grow as a person because you only get one life and you've got to really get the most out of that experience. So I, I agree with you fully on that. 
Yeah, and yeah. I mean t- to your point, like it's one thing if you're on a if you're a doom if you're on a doom level if you're on you know if you're on a, a national level rapper and you want to push it as far as you can go, that's one conversation, right? Right. But if you're on a local scene, you know you need to figure out a plan, a transition plan, a plan B. And it's not to say that that necessarily means that you're not good at what you were doing, but if it's no. not taking you to where you need to, you know, if it's not yeah. going to the next step, then. Like do it, do it for you. Don't do it because you think you're gonna blow up. Because if it hasn't happened, sometimes it's never gonna happen. But if you want to express yourself, cool. But to your point, it might not be the route that you could have gone, and you need to look and see what else you might be able to do in your life. That's real. It yeah, and you know that was the the article that came out a couple of weeks ago on Fillmore that uh Evan Moore did, and I think they used that term like middle class rap or mm-hmm. working class rap in there. Like yeah, that's. That's a real thing. Like a lot of MCs have maintained whole careers, but they've had day jobs, you know, doing right. it. And, you know, they they did it out of necessity, but they they did they also did the music out of necessity too, because they had to express themselves. So there's there's no reason not to express yourself, and there's no reason not be a, a viable, uh, valuable member of the community just because you're a rapper. You don't just have to go out here and play a role. That's right. You know, uh, when you're not rapping and, and just be, you know, destructive and, you know, be out here on nonsense. You can be out here doing doing uh, good things, positive things for for the community in many different ways, you know. Yeah. And we and, need that. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And one more thing, too, I want to jump on because yeah. and you, mentioned, you mentioned him uh, a minute ago, uh, Fred Hampton. You know, we, mm-hmm. we got to see a movie come out about his life. And, and it's that's that's something that is hard to believe, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Like it's something I do. I definitely wouldn't have imagined 20 years ago. But, uh, you know, what, what do you think about this moment right now where and, and it's interesting because I've seen some people have, have seen the movie already online. And there's been some people who are essentially they're, they're kind of not satisfied because they feel that the movie doesn't deal enough with Fred himself and his policies and his, you know, the the specific things that he did is more about uh, 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 O'Neill and, uh, you know, the way that he was uh, betrayed and everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, about, you know, I, I guess we'll see, but I'll see about that when I see the movie. But, you know, what, what are your thoughts, though, overall about having a true blue socialist hero, uh, a, a man who was really for the people? being uh celebrated in this way right now i mean yes absolutely i think what's what's interesting to me is it's not only that it's the fact that he's a chicago guy like like chicago is different it is an environment that like is clearly political it's a union town it's all these things that what fred hampton was able to do in that moment with the black panthers and showing people socialism but also like Black power, right? All those things are absolutely crucial to get out there. It, it's, um, you know, for me, like, he's one of my inspirations, as is, like, Harold Washington. And we actually, I wrote the a resolution uh, commemorating the 50-year anniversary of him being murdered by the police. Uh, um, mm. So we, um, it's very vital to me because I think he is such a good crossroads into all those things like chicago the black experience under civil rights movement and socialism 
that it's a good bridge to have conversation with different folks. So I think the fact that there's a movie, you know, movies aren't going to be documentaries, but if they spark the imagination and, and the want for somebody to do more homework, that's, that's what you want. Cause I think you're going to, some kid is going to watch that movie, learn about Fred Hampton, and they're going to take it to where they, they need to take it. So I think it's extremely yeah. powerful to be able to have that in this moment. Yeah. And, and that's, that means a lot. Cause I, I go back to when I did my, I did like a, a final, I did like a, a big research report on him back when I was a freshman in college. And it wasn't easy to get information on Fred Hampton back in 2002, it, you know, to, oh, yeah. to have a movie and the movie and all the ancillary information, you know, that's going to pop, that's popped up in, in response to this movie and everything and in, in, in you know in advance of it and and, and what's going to pop up after it it's going to make it a lot easier for people to understand who that man was and what you know what his importance was to the, the civil rights movement and to you know the black power movement and and, and the, the way that he relates to so much that's going on today is it, it's very meaningful and if we, if we talk about him and and harold like those were coalition like we, we talk about consensus building, but there's also coalition building yeah. and coalition building can be so much more. It may not be a consensus, but it can be very impactful. When you, we think about the way that Fred, he, he wanted to get together poor people of every color in this, in the city of Chicago to, to be about the same things and to, uh, to work towards the same goals. And, you know, yeah. we need, we need to be like that today. We need to, you know, to fight against the historical segregation and to get get across get across the things that we need all need as people. You know, we we need to build these coalitions again and, and, yeah. and try to do things to honor people the the work that people like Fred Hampton did before us and Ed Harold. Yeah, no, it, cr it cracks me up because the way that I was smiling was because people toss around like socialist, communist, abolitionist, and all of it, right? Yeah, labels, the people yeah. that speak to me. That is it, but nobody ever uses that term. Like I, I am a coalitionist. If anything, it's like I'll talk to the people that I don't necessarily agree with because you gotta build those numbers, or else you're never going to get to the point where you can turn the system around. So, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, Dave, what you, what you no, got? No, I was going to say, you know, no, yeah, I was just going to say, you're never going to get anywhere, you know, talking in the echo chamber, and I think that's a part of the problem with a lot of times historically those groups in the first place you operate when you operate in you know just amount of people who are saying the same thing you are that's fine but you you don't grow your ranks without talking to people who don't see eye to eye with you who have yeah. opposing views i mean that's really kind of what the i think that's part of the challenge with politics in general is not people trying to reach out to you know for lack of a better term you know to as across the aisle and being able to say, hey, you know what, this is the reason why we think the way we do. This is the reason why we, sh you know, share the, have this perception of the world the way we do. And this is the, re and this is the reason why you should give it some credence. I mean, but if you yeah. keep talking to the same people, yeah, things is bad. Yeah, things is bad. You know, we need to fight the man. You keep it's all in the same circle. It doesn't get you in. It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't move, you know, to struggle forward if you're just talking to the same people. Oh, and, yeah. And, well, yeah. you know, like, like some of the folks now, are, they're really college academics. So they're like, have you read Marx or do you know this that, and the other? And I'm like, I just grew up in Chicago broke. That's about the political learning mm -hmm. I needed to start off with. Right. 
that you have to grow that you you have the one thing that that always worked with me is realizing that I went through my life and my experience. It is why I look at the world the way that I do. I've never been in somebody else's shoes and been in their experience to understand why they see things the way they do. But I got to respect that they went through that journey. So I'm, I'm open to listening and learning. And that's the beginning of those conversations. If I was just like, you know, oh, I, I can't relate to you. So we're not talking. Then the people in power remain in power because they want everyone divided. You have to you have to fight against that. And it, it's not necessarily about arguing more than it is about building coalition, like we've been saying. Absolutely. Empathy and respect, man. Two things we need a lot more of out here, man. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, Alderman Vasquez, Andre, man, we, we appreciate you so much, man. Thank you for coming on with us and, and building with us, talking with us. And, and, you know, we really enjoy learning more about you and, uh, and, and more about what you do and what people like you do. You know, hopefully uh, uh, this is of use to our audience as well. No, so, I, um, I was going to say that, like, thank you all for this, like this kind of show and this kind of platform. I wish I would have had this growing up. And so I think that what you all provide and the people like that listen in, it's just a really cool vibe. Like I, I really appreciate that because you can have these conversations and it still feels like, like friends having a conversation, not just yeah. like highbrow political stake stuff. So I, I really appreciate that. And I can't thank y'all enough for, for having this platform. Well, we, yeah, we try to be people where, where they at. Cause we, you know, we still got a lot of work we doing on ourselves. So we, we definitely ain't looking down on nobody. So, yeah. you know, we, uh, yeah, like I said, man, just thanks a lot. And, um, you know, definitely, gonna keep up with what you do and and, and try to uh uh do our best to 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 you know work on work along and live up to your standards and uh you know do what we can do in our areas as well and yeah. um you know, I de- I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of what you do in the, in the 40th and in the citywide yeah no thank I appreciate that Kyle and thank you Dave thank you for coming mm-hmm. on I right, I see right. you okay all right good good be safe out there in that that cold <laughs> I got the snow pants on and everything. Yeah, I'll see right. you. Take care. Definitely, Bye. definitely. Thank you. All right. All right. Uh, are you going to wrap up or what? Yeah, yeah. We, we we ain't got much more to do here tonight. Just go wrap up. Uh, Alderman Andre Vasquez, you know, you could look him up. Basically, look up his name. Look up the 40th Ward in Chicago if you're interested in what he's doing. Uh, you know, he's on Twitter. He's on IG. He's on everything, Facebook. Not hard to get in him. And um, same for us, weareregalradio.com, our website, uh, our uh, Substack, uh, uh, War Ready, <laughs> W-A-R-R Ready. You get a lot of uh, more instant writings. We do that's a new thing. We're doing a lot of instant writings, uh, some some more, you know, off the cuff type stuff, uh, and and everything that we're doing on there as well. Uh, as far as like I said, as far as our writing goes, uh, the Anchor.fm slash War Media. That's where you get the podcast versions of everything we do. And of course, if you're watching on here, uh, you know, you can see us on YouTube. Keyword is War Media, key phrase. And um, yeah, we'll be back next week with another in the building. And oh, actually, we'll be back tomorrow. What am I, what am I doing? We'll be back tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, special show we're doing with uh, a, a really, really dope MC. Uh, out of Detroit, named Finale, and uh, 
he had a connection with uh, the legendary producer Jay Dilla. Uh, he did a, a record with him on his first album uh, called Heat. That was that was dope. And uh, we're gonna speak to to the the life and legacy of Jay Dilla tomorrow with finale. Um, tomorrow, the tenth will, will mark 15 years since his passing in 2006. So uh, there's been a lot of celebration about him this week. You know, his birthday is on the 7th, and that's the same day that he put out his magnum opus record, uh, Donuts. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of celebration for Dilla uh, this week, and as it typically is in February. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about that man and talk about, you know, uh, like I said, the life and legacy of one of our great hip-hop artists. So uh, that's going to be tomorrow, again, back right back here on YouTube. Uh, me and Dave and Finale uh, talking about Jay Dilla. So uh, try to check that out. And, um, yeah, that's it for now. We're going to roll out. Thanks again, brother, for hanging on. Uh, kids uh, kids have been corralled. Uh, yeah, I got to get to them. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get to them. That the corral. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I ain't going to leave you no longer, man. I'll see you tomorrow. We'll see y'all tomorrow. And uh, in the meantime, uh, Stay warm if you're cold out there. And uh, I saw I saw somebody in the snow. I know you saw that video put up on on IG. There's some snow out in Cali too. Huh? They had to been up north somewhere. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I saw that. That's an old video. Uh, let's see. Unless he's doing more. Unless that guy's doing more than one video. I saw that. So. Well, where he fell, I hope he ain't doing more than one video. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, that's it, man. We'll holler at y'all tomorrow, man. Keep keep building, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to y'all later, man. All right, all right, all right, peace.